2: Are we are we kidnapping Don? Yes. Are we kidnapping the guy who created EDHREC so they can create more awesome features? Can't keep for mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck-building site on the web for the Commander format, EDH rec. My name is Joey Schultz, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan.
1: So Joey, this week, I decide I'm going to stop buying Velcro products because they're total ripoffs. <laughs> You're
2: the absolute <laughs> worst. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins... Dana Roach, Dana, do you have a Jed joke for us, I, or are you going to save us from that?
0: I don't. That one hit me so far below the belt. I don't even know how to respond.
1: It hit you in that good, happy place where I you guess, just yeah. you feel
0: warm and fuzzy.
1: <laughs> oh man, the op- like okay. like the part that like the the prickly part goes on because that's how Velcro works, Joey.
2: Stop it. Please stop it. I'm Joey <laughs> Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at EDHREC.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the EDHREC cast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. What is our topic this week, fellas? Ravnica Allegiance.
0: Oh, is not it? Guilds. Guilds? Oh, man. Did,
2: did oh, you I, almost say Guilds of Ravnica? It's a good I, thing I cut you off. I prepped this all wrong. <laughs> oh, no. Are you going to be reviewing the cards from Guild of Ravnica? I, Dana, that's not what we're doing this
1: I week.
0: I thought this stuff looked really familiar. Have you guys seen the new Amara? Holy <laughs> right. cow.
1: Guys, this music is really cool. Cheat everywhere. That Golgari commander. Holy cannoli. Yes, we are
2: going to be discussing <laughs> Ravnica Allegiance, although Dana, I'll confess, that's I, I've made that mistake a few times too. I keep on wanting to say Guilds of Ravnica or even Return to Ravnica.
1: See, neither of those are right. So how often is it that I'm the only person right? Fairly often, actually, now.
2: Hey, you know what? We will find out. Maybe your card evaluations for this set will be different than mine and Dana's. Who knows? How about we get right to it?
0: Let's tear it off like Velcro.
2: tear it off like velcro oh man these dad jokes are going to be haunting us all episode aren't they all right let's start start
0: off some afterlife
2: (laughs) oh my goodness you've got to (laughs) stop let's start off with some of these commanders Brief disclaimer, we've already discussed Taysa uh, on our previous episode, where Matt and I both brewed a different version of Taysa Karlov. So if you want to hear our opinions on her, definitely check out the previous episode. We won't be mentioning her here, because I think we're all in agreement that she's pretty darn awesome. But we do want to discuss some of the others. For example, they printed a new birthing pod, and her name is Prime Speaker Vanifar. Dana, do you want to tell us all about this new birthing mom lady?
0: Uh, I certainly can. Prime Speaker Vanifar is a legendary creature, Elf... Ooze Wizard Scorpion Octopus. Um, <laughs> she costs two, a green and a blue, so four mana total for a two, four. And she's a birthing pod. You can basically tap her to sacrifice a creature and search your library for a creature card with CMC equal to one plus to sacrifice creatures CMC and put that creature onto the battlefield. You can only do this as a sorcery. So it's, it's a birthing pod. Yeah, that's a thing that now exists in the game from the command zone.
2: I can tell from your tone that you're not particularly excited. Uh, Matt, are you particularly
1: excited? Not particularly, no.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's kind of been our sentiment. It's not at all a reaction based on her power level because she's clearly powerful. But that's probably why our instinct is that we're a little, not underwhelmed, it's just that like, we know exactly what Prime Speaker Vanifar is going to be, and that is a combo commander. Even if you're not trying to, she's so close to a commander like Yison, Wanderer Bard, that it will be impossible for her to not just, oops, I combo and win. And,
0: and, and it's not just, just that she's a commander. Um, it's not that she's just a combo commander. It's that she's a combo commander that will play on rails, and every Vanifar deck you see will, for the most part, contain, you know, 90 of the same 100 cards. Which is fine. It just doesn't it just isn't interesting particularly to me.
2: The same reasons that Xur is such a powerful uh, commander, actually. Because Xur right. can go fetch any enchantment. And while that sounds like a really great thing for a toolbox, what it inevitably leads to is usually a very streamlined style of Zur deck. And there's usually like one way that it's gonna go because he can do it so easily.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll play Vanifar, and then, you know, if you untap and she's on the field and you have a Mana Doric play that you can sacrifice, and you're going to be running, you know, a dozen Mana to make sure you get her out in turn two, and then, you know, tap her on turn three and sack that Mana then there's going to be a very clearly established pod chain that just wins you the game, and that's fine, like, if that's your jam. You know, I'm, I'm not judging that, but it's it's just kind of boring to me, and there's not a lot to say about it.
1: Yes, uh, Prime Speaker Vanifar is kind of the perfect example of Simic is either busted in half, or then you have Zagana, which is just kind of, oh, okay.
2: Yeah, in fact, Zagana is so okay that we don't even want to spend too much time talking about her. She's not all that great. She draws you a card if you have a creature with a plus one counter on her, and she can give their stuff trample if it's got plus one counters on it, and she can adapt, and that's kind of okay. But there are so many other Simic legendaries that can do that style of deck
0: just way better. Yeah, she's a Boros commander of Simic commanders. (laughs) (laughs) wow next next commander i don't
1: i don't want to i don't want to get joey on this tangent no, 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 no. I, I've got my
2: pins about Boros, but this is not at all the time for it. That was just a really sick burn, and I'm, I'm totally here for it. Uh, so yeah, Zagana, we're not that high on. Uh, Vanifar, definitely an impressive commander, but we are, uh, we're, we're pretty sure that we know what it's going to be, and it's just not of personal interest for our styles of deck
1: building. Joey, you missed a perfect opportunity to say that was a pretty cynic burn, actually.
2: I did oh. miss that opportunity. I will miss all of the opportunities to take dad jokes. I'm sorry, Matt, but that is totally your purview.
1: I'm not even the dad on the podcast. That's Dana's lay of the land so
2: <laughs> okay matt as punishment for that dad joke how about you tell us about rakdos the showstopper
1: i i can do that that that's that's a fine punishment <laughs> so rakdos the showstopper for black red for a six six demon he has flample which is flying and trample if you if you're not in the know but also when rakdos the showstopper enters the battlefield flip a coin for each creature that is not a demon devil or imp and destroy each creature whose coin comes up tails what do you guys this, think?
2: This has been a, a little controversial. Not that like people are necessarily upset about it, but I've seen a lot of folks saying that they're not really on board with Rakdos, but I actually really like
1: him. I what think are it's your fi- guys' reactions? I think it's a fine board wipe. I think he's better than the original Rakdos. Uh, I don't well, think that's not a high bar to clear. Well, yeah, I don't disagree there, but uh, it, just the, the randomness, I think a lot of people get caught up on, oh, I don't want to flip 50 coins, blah, 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 but like there are worse things that can be done. Like, it's going to be quicker to resolve Erectos the Showstopper than Scrambleverse. That's kind of obvious.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, like, it's not like... it's <laughs> Cat- a low bar to clear. Catherine's Crusade's in a whole lot of decks, and that can be really time-consuming to figure out sometimes, too, if you've got a full board of tokens. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not going to be ideal sometimes when there's, you know, 30 creature types in play, but that's that doesn't happen that often. I, I think it's not going to be that bad.
2: Yeah, I just kind of like the idea. It's a different style of... Uh, Rectos uh, of Rectos decks. I think you know you've got one of the the very original Rectos was not very good, and he kind of had a demon synergy going on, but it's very awkward because you have to continually sacrifice your stuff. Then there's another Rectos who's very obsessed with punishment and sort of getting big free creatures, and then there's also Mogus who's very like micro death by a thousand cuts kind of deal. Whereas this Rectos can actually be just pretty much some straight up beatdown. He can just have a bunch of really fun demons, and he'll clear the board every so often. You can run cards like Conjurer's Closet to make sure that you get to trigger his effect a couple times. Crark's Thumb would also be really great to double those coin flips Stryonic Resonator might also go into a deck like this too and you can just routinely keep the board clear of anyone else's creatures even if they have hexproof and then you can just hit people and I, I think that's kind of fun
0: yeah it's definitely interesting I mean you said you can go the demon uh, devil imp route you could also lean into coin flip stuff if that's your thing like you know prior to this all we really had was Split Zendersplit and Split's friend who's not Zendersplit Ocoun. There we go. That's what I said. Yeah. You knew what I was saying. That's the kind of synergy we have here in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like you could, you could, you know, if you wanted to do a Rakdos variant on that, you, this gives you a little bit of room to do that as well. Um, yeah, it's like not something I want to build, but I think it's a, it's a cool commander, and I will um, look forward to playing against this deck.
1: Yeah, I think I think the effect is something like you would see on Hearthstone that they just tried to turn into a Magic card, where you know on Hearthstone it's just going to happen real quick. But, you know, manual dexterity and all that. And I mean, if you're not coordinated like I am, you, you might need like two or three coin flips to actually get one good coin flip, too. So could be bad. Could be bad. Could be, could be. I don't know. I just think
2: that it's pretty neat. I get that the uh, the coin flipping part could be a little time consuming, um, but I think that that's also kind of something fun to embrace for the Rakdos as a color pair just because they are the embodiment of chaos and it's going to be very difficult to play around if you don't know whether your creatures will stick on the field when you're facing against a Rakdos player, which I think is kind of cool. This isn't the only Rakdos legend that we've got, though we also have Judith the Scourge Diva or Scourge Diva or Scourge Diva. Uh, Scourge. Something to that effect. scourge Scourge. diva uh this is a three mana rectus commander human shaman other creatures you control get plus one plus zero and whenever a non-token creature you control dies judith deals one damage to any target what are your guys first impressions of judith
1: i like how she's uh, a goblin bombardment on a stick basically minus the sack outlet part but she can ping everything down
2: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the original Savra, Queen of the Golgari. She didn't actually allow you to sacrifice your creatures, but she did have neat effects when you did sacrifice your creatures. That said, I kind of think that the original Savra's payoff was a little bit better than Judith's. One damage to any target isn't that much fun, in my opinion. It it, it just seems kind of minor. I don't know. Dana, what are your thoughts?
0: Um, Yeah, she's definitely a Savra combined with, who's the first? Uh, Lysolda. There's kind of a combination thing going on there. I think she's interesting. I like her. I don't really know if she's good enough to build a deck around. The other creatures you control get plus one, plus oh is useful but also seems odd. It feels like they, they built a card and then were like, yeah, it's not quite good enough. What can we add to make it better? And they added that. It's just kind of a random ability. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's a, it's a fine card. I, I, I like it and I kind of want to build around it but, because I don't have a Rakdos deck right now and she's as interesting as anything, I guess. I just don't entirely know how effective she would be as a commander. I think we
1: need to keep in mind too, she's only a three converted mana cost that's creature nice. at, at the same time. So she's gonna come down early and I mean even if you put her in the ninety nine, she's gonna get five or six pings, you know, and that's that's not bad necessarily right. for a three drop. I think there are
2: definitely ways to abuse her as well, especially if you put a, uh, a Basilisk collar or something like that. You could definitely take advantage of that dealing one damage to any target. Another possible idea might be those kind of Relentless Rats or Rat Colony decks might be a good place for her as well, since she gives a slight buff to your entire team, and then you would have an excuse to have a whole bunch of non-token creatures that she'd be able to take advantage of if they die. That could be another good option for her.
1: Yeah, and I mean, obvious like, combo commander too, like Nim Death mantle, end of the battlefield effects, sacrifice creatures get the creature back like if you have like a sage gang commander like you just get to go and fit it basically with a sack outlet so
2: yeah that's certainly another possible option i can certainly see people using that and phyrexian altar with her too there's definitely a lot of combo options for blanche the firewheeler i i mean judith the scourge diva <laughs> um, anyway
1: the, 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 the golden girl commander <laughs> Uh, yeah.
2: Anyway, let's move on now to Lavinia, Azorius Renegade. Matt, tell us all about this
1: little lady. So Lavinia, the Azorius Renegade, is white-blue for a 2-2 human soldier that reads, each opponent can't cast non-creature spells with converted mana cost greater than the amount of lands that player controls. It also reads, whenever an opponent casts a spell, if no mana was spent to cast it, counter that spell. And I definitely
2: wanted you to have the opportunity to read this one and give your thoughts because I know, you know, as a Selesnia player, you love Gaddock Teague.
1: I do love Gaddock Teague. He does kind of poo-poo on everything that our our former editor, Henry, loves to do. Mm -hmm. So, but Lavinia, a bunch of my buddies that play modern are talking about this in Modern Humans because they they think, uh, it's going to do so much good against Tron because they're not going to be able to cast stuff ahead of the curve. But even then, like, Tron is just going to go, okay, cool, Lavinia. Here's an Oblivion Stone, and I'm going to blow it up, and then I'm going to do my dirty stuff. So I I think it's okay. Uh, obviously, it costs two mana, so the, the effects aren't going to be that powerful. I think the second clause is going to do a lot of good against certain decks, like you know your Maelstrom Wanderer, Yidris, those types of decks that do cascading and casting stuff for free. I don't like her because she does get rid of my expertise cycle. So Mm. she's a little rude on that aspect.
2: That's exactly it. She looks like the kind of card that's going to keep everyone honest. But the problem is that the best way to build around her is to not be honest, is to not be fair at all. She doesn't keep the battlefield fair. She does, in fact, exactly the opposite, because you'll pair her with cards like uh, Knowledge Pool, or if you're in Red, Possibility Storm, or I think Eye of the Storm is another one, Mm -hmm. or Omen Machine, all of these cards that do different things around the way that people cast spells that then she would counter so she'll just keep your opponents from being able to play the game which isn't a whole ton of fun another option is definitely uh, to run dream halls with her and dream halls is really great because it allows you to cast spells for free it does that for everyone but with lavinia in play no one gets to do that option so it's only a thing that you get to take advantage of and that sounds neat but again it's kind of a A measure of lockdown that probably won't make the most fun playing experience it 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 harkens back a little bit to both gadoc teague and also to grand arbiter and if you've ever played against both of those then you know that it can be a little taxing
0: literally yeah yeah yeah, for sure um yeah the (laughs) the grand arbiter comparison makes a lot of sense too it it feels like it's going to be a very similar deck if you wanted to build it just you know a, a real stiff control shell with maybe some ways to exploit it like maybe unlike grand arbiter which I think sometimes struggles to close out games, even though it can control them. Maybe by using things like Dream Halls, you can, or abusing things like Dream Halls, I should say, you can close out games a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. It's it's a, but it's a. I think this is for a really specific deck archetype, and I would just be shocked if you saw her very often at anything but like a Cedh level table. I just don't think your average casual commander player is looking to build a stack.
1: Yeah, I, right. I, I, I agree. She's probably the type of commander that you build and realize how not fun it is to play with or against, and you take it apart after uh, one night of playing.
2: Yeah, which which is unfortunate, because I do like both of the abilities. I think in a lot of formats that those can be especially interesting, but it also, again, it almost has like a, a Leovold feeling to it. Not that I think that she is immediately bandworthy in the same way that Leovold was banworthy, but that there is definitely like an appearance that you're keeping things fair, but you're, you're just really not. And there's a very obvious build path that will be difficult not to go down. And that just can kind of stink a little bit. It, it sort of feels a little bit like Vanifar in that way as well.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's worth pointing out that she messes with non-creature spells, so you can still cast creature spells, which is kind of like another commander that we have coming up here too.
2: Ooh, that's right, Nikia of the Old Ways. This one has some also pretty weird restrictions around her, but I think it's kind of enticing. Nikia of the Old Ways is three red-green, a five-mana Gruul Commander, 5-5, that says you can't cast non-creature spells. And whenever you tap a land for mana, you get an additional mana of any type that land produced. This is pretty interesting. I'm really liking this Centaur Druid lady.
0: I like her quite a bit too. Even though it's not going to be a deck that's that's revolutionary or that radically different from anything that already exists, but five mana isn't terrible for a five, five. There's just a couple different things you can do with her. Uh, I've seen Rurik Thar decks before, which kind of have a similar deal where it punishes people for casting non creature spells. The problem, the problem with Rurik Thar tends to be everyone's annoyed at, at, at just getting slapped in the face for doing almost anything. So they tend to come at you or remove Rurik Thar as quickly as possible. and, Generally, the deck can't necessarily handle that kind of heat. I think this is going to be a similar playstyle deck where you're just going to look to stack as many creature spells as possible in the deck, but you're also not going to make everyone mad at you at the same time. They're not going to love you making double mana, but that's going to draw less hate than a Rurikthar Thar will, I think.
2: That's an excellent point. Yeah, Rurik Thar is super cool, but yeah, he immediately gets everyone's ire, whereas Nikia, I think opens up a very similar path, but with a lot of fun ways to build around that restriction of not being able to cast non-creature spells. For example, by using creatures that have activated abilities, because Nikia does not, you know prevent you from being able to activate those so instead of running your heroic intervention you can instead run soul of new Phyrexia, and because she doubles your mana you're always going to be able to activate it you know if you manage to put an asceticism out before you play the nikya then that can help protect your entire team and you'll have plenty of mana to be able to use its regeneration clause that kind of deal so there are a lot of ways around that restriction that i think are actually going to make for a really fun play experience
0: yeah i i, I can see that It's also worth pointing out, by virtue of being a centaur druid, you know people are oftentimes looking to find a tribal commander to build, and both centaur and druid are creature types that don't really have super obvious commanders. She doesn't do anything with either creature type necessarily, but that doesn't stop people from using things like that for their centaur commander or druid commander. And I think being able to do that in red-blue versus just, I think, the only druids we had, I think, are mono-green, and I'm not even sure if we have any centaur legends, so I think there will be somebody somewhere who's excited to do that with this card.
1: I, that's a really good point, Dana, actually. Yeah, I, I wasn't thinking about the Druid tribal implications. Because, yeah, it's like Stonebrow and Stet, or Stetson, Stetson? No, Stetson's a clone. Four dads, Seton? actually. Seton. Him. That one. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I, I remember the name, but I don't remember precisely what it is.
1: Yeah, but it's like the only real Druid tribal commander. And I, I remember I was digging up something because... Don and I were having a conversation about Druid Tribal and couldn't find a good commander, so this this might be a good way to do it, too.
2: See, it's funny that you guys go to Druid Tribal for this, because what I think would be a great fit for Nikia is actually Hydra Tribal. She's not a Hydra herself, but because she doubles all your mana and Hydras are going to be huge creatures anyway, this makes it a really great place to put a bunch of Hydras into because you can just pump a ton of mana into them. And a lot of Hydras also tend to have other activated abilities that she, again, doesn't restrict. So you can get a bunch more stuff with your Hydra Broodmaster or with Pelucranos, who can, you know, eat a bunch of people with his monstrous ability. So I think that Hydra Tribal would be another great option for her there, too.
0: Yeah, I agree. You have to build every commander the same way, so you're wrong. (laughs) She's just a Timmy commander. She's one that there'll be a lot of Timmies building various decks around around the KF for sure.
2: Right, but that's not necessarily an insult. No, not not at all. Yeah, sometimes, you know, the Timmy Tammy spectrum of psychographics can be a little ridiculed, and I don't think that's necessarily fair because, man, I get stomped by Overwhelming Stampede quite a lot in Commander. I mean,
1: that's what this format is for, is for the Timmies to do their big splashy things.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so I think that she'll definitely enable some of those. It looks like a lot of fun. There's one more legendary creature that we want to discuss, and I actually just recently discovered that this one was a legendary creature. So I don't know that I'm properly equipped to talk about it, because it was really just minutes before we started the show. Dana, do you want to tell us about the Haunt of
0: Hightower? I can indeed. The Haunt of Hightower is a six mana legendary creature vampire, and that's four black black for a flying lifelink. Vampire, like I said, who's a 3-3 for 6 mana, which is not great. And he has ability, whenever the Haunt of Hightower attacks, Defending Player discards a card, and whenever a card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, put a plus-one, plus-one counter on the Haunt of Hightower. Eh? Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> a
2: lot of mana. Yeah, that, that is the problem. So uh, this is one of the promo cards that's available when you buy a box, is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, so it's not available within the set proper, but it is another legendary creature, sort of along the lines of Fire Song and Sunspeaker. I don't hate it, but I also don't love it. Uh, the reason that I'm not particularly in love is simply because I've tried to make the card Vulturous Zombie work in Commander before, and it just never really did a ton of work. And Vulturous Zombie also has that similar ability of whenever a card is put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, it gets a plus one counter. This one has lifelink, though, which could matter. I don't, I don't, I don't know. What are your guys' Does it really? Does it really? It, if it gets big enough, but also if it's getting big enough that it provides you a good enough cushion of life, then it's probably just commander damaging people out of the game. But also Voltron's difficult in mono black. I don't know. I just have a lot of mixed feelings.
1: Like you're going to have to be playing hatred type effects and all that. Like you have to have Cabal Coffers and Urborg to cast this more than twice, really, that are maybe like Crypt Gas, anything along those lines, those mana doublers in mono black and black market. But even then, you're, you're diluting your deck so much that you're not going to be milling them a whole bunch and making them discard. So I'm not super keen on it. I think it's fine. Would you run it in the 99 of a deck? I am much more likely to run it in the 99. It is a Vampire, so that's worth
0: mentioning. I'm not going to rush off and put in my Edgar Markov deck by any means, but... It's fine. Maybe like in a Crash deck where you're probably going to have some stuff that interacts with plus one counters anyway, and Mm -hmm. the fact that the Haunt gets bigger when stuff dies, which Crash kind of likes, and then Crash can take the counters off it when the Haunt eventually dies, maybe there.
2: Yeah, another potential option might be a phoenix deck, since... He can mill a bunch of stuff, which would then yeah. make the Hauntify Tower very true. high in toughness, and then Phoenix would be able to tap the Hauntify Tower to mill even more cards. That could be another possible application. Yeah,
1: combine as well. it with consuming aberration. That, that would make yeah, sense. That's a
2: good yeah. call. Yeah, so there's definitely potential for all of these cards. It's quite an interesting suite of commanders for sure. But we don't just have commanders, we've got a bunch of other cards that we gotta to get to, including some planeswalkers. I gotta admit though, looking at the planeswalker lineup with Dovin, Kaya, and Domri. My initial impression, before we even read any of them, is that I'm not
1: very impressed. What are your guys' very first impressions? You can tell they're all three... Well, Dovin and Kaya are three-mana Planeswalkers, and you can tell just by the power level, they're not overly powerful. They're kind of specific and, and narrow, which is fine. Um, Domri's a four-mana Planeswalker, and he gets up to six loyalty on on you know the, the turn that he comes down, which is worth mentioning. But they're all fairly narrow, I think if I had to rank them, I would go Domri, Dovin, and Kaya. Kaya just doesn't really inspire a whole lot for me in in this iteration. I liked her her first version, but this one, I, I, yeah. Yeah, let's start from the bottom
2: then. So Kaya, of Usurper, one white and black, starts with three loyalty. She can plus one to exile two cards from a single graveyard, and you gain two life if one of them was a creature. You can minus one to exile target non permanent with mana cost one or less, and she can minus five to deal damage to target player equal to the number of cards they own in exile, and you gain that much life. And that's exactly it. It feels a little... Yeah, it seems like the type of thing that they're tuning her to be good against some specific strategy in Standard rather than they are looking for
0: something in EDH. Yeah,
1: well, I think all of these are, are constructed formats and they're they're not they're not singleton cards at all.
0: And that seems to be a trend we've kind of seen with them and Planeswalker starting in probably the core set this year where we had that uh, Sarkin that was very clearly intended to go in a Dragon deck and a Liliana that was very clearly right, intended to right. go in a Zombie deck. I think we're kind of seeing some more of that here where they – They've decided they rather than make Planeswalkers just generically useful, they've kind of tweaked them a little bit so they are ones that you want in your one specific deck, but outside that they're probably not interesting.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I think possibly the best application that Kaya has in the format. If you can get her up to that uh, 5 loyalty to do her ultimate, if you've bajookabogged bogged someone, then she can do a lot of damage. So that could be a fun build path, but it seems like a lot of work for a pretty tough payoff. Uh, Then we've also got Dovin, Grand Arbiter, another three-mana Planeswalker here. He's in Azoria, starts with three loyalty. Plus one until end of turn. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, he gets another loyalty counter. Minus one, create a 1-1 Thopter, and you gain a life. And minus seven, you get to Dovin through time, as Ruben Bressler put it on Magic Mics. You look at the top ten cards of your library, choose three of them, and put them into your hand. The rest on the bottom of your library in any order. And again, it seems a little underwhelming. I don't hate it, but it also is kind of tough to find where he would go in EDH.
1: I do like that he's not your traditional blue-white Planeswalker, just hard control, counter everything, then wait for one good card to to win the game. Uh, You know, he comes down early, he can make some Thopters, but when you tick him up, you can ultimate him the next turn very easily. You know, you play a few creatures out, you obviously don't play him on turn three, but I like how in blue-white they're encouraging combat, which they haven't really done before. Uh, so I think that's an interesting push that Wizards took with Dovin. But I'm really excited to see what happens moving forward.
2: Yeah, there's definitely a tempo feeling to the yes. uh, to the Azorius in the set.
0: Yeah, that, that plus one really is an interesting ability I like a lot. It definitely does not feel Azorius necessarily. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe they're allowed to print it in these colors because it would be too much if it was in something that was green, if it was like a Gura card or something. Um, but I like the ability, and, and I think it will be, it'll be interesting in some kind of like a token deck, like if you're playing some, some white-blue-birds variation where you tend to have a bunch of 1-1 like evasive one, one creatures, then you can kind of get this loop going where you, know, you swing with 7 or 8 things that maybe don't do lethal damage because they're small tokens, and you put a pile of counters on Dovin and then fire off his minus 7 that doesn't kill him because he has so many counters on him, and then you can kind of repeatedly do that to get a really disgusting draw engine going. But I think the amount of decks that are going to be able to do that is pretty limited.
2: Right. The problem with that is simply that if you get disrupted, he falters pretty hard. But if you can get that going, then it's definitely a nice snowball of, of, of continual value for sure. So that makes yeah. a lot of sense. And
0: if you have enough creatures to do that, there's probably better ways to win the game than trying to loop that, <laughs> that minus seven on Dovin a bunch of times for value.
2: That is also kind of true, yeah. But then there's one more Planeswalker, and that's Domri. I think this is the one that we like the most. So,
1: Matt, I'm going to hand it off to you. Tell us all about Domri. So, Domri Chaos Bringer, two, a red-green, for man- or five loyalty, excuse me, Planeswalker, plus one, add red or green mana to your mana pool. If that mana is spent on a creature spell, it gains Riot, which Riot is when it comes in the battlefield, you can choose. Either it gets haste or gets a plus one, plus one counter on it. Domri's second ability, minus three. Look at the top four cards of your library. You may reveal up to two creature cards from among them and put them into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And as ultimate, minus eight, you get an emblem with, at the beginning of each end step, that is each end step, not just yours, you create a four-four
0: red and green beast creature token with trample. I mean, that's a lot of different things that are useful. Like, all, all, (laughs) all those abilities are useful.
2: Yeah my my main concern with Domri and I, I do like them I like the mana and I like that you can give a creature haste I like especially that ultimate is really cool but my main concern is just that this is not the first time that we've seen a 4 mana gruul planeswalker that's kind of a a, a crowded area actually there's Sarkhan Vol and there's a Xenagos the actual planeswalker Xenagos not the enchantment Xenagos so th- there's a lot of competition in this area and that's one of my main concerns
0: Yeah th- this is this could be there could be three different names in this card and I would believe it. Like it doesn't have to be Domri. There's something about this that makes it a Domri card. This could easily be a new Arlen Cord or it could easily be a different Sarkin, like a, like the red green sarkin. Like it, there's nothing about this that makes it specifically Domri. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. And I think we, we made the same comment about who is the greens green planeswalker we got in the core set this year. Vivian, Vivian Reed. V, Vivian kind of the same thing going on a little bit too. And she's, you know, seeing a good bit of playing standard. So that's maybe where the card goes it's just a useful role player and standard and it's not quite maybe good enough for EDH.
2: yeah yeah i think that's fair then again when we reviewed vivian reed we were all kind of like oh this is okay and matt especially was like but remember all a lot of little good effects can add up to a really great card and i think that could also be true of, of yeah These are all they they kind of look very like small effects but he's not you know wrong to point out matt you weren't wrong to point out that the five loyalty and going up to six on the first turn can be you know that's pretty tough to to get through. So there's certainly a place for them. I, I, I definitely think that's the case. It's just a, a, a crowded and competitive environment for sure. But I can see this thing wrecking my day too. Yeah, I would agree. Alrighty. So those were the commanders. Those were the planeswalkers. Now let's get saucy. These are the heavy hitters of the set. These are the cards that we expect will have the highest popularity, or at least the cards that we anticipate should have the highest popularity. Dana, do you want to start us off with the card Captive Audience, because I know you love it so.
0: Captive Audience, 5, a black and a red, so 7 mana total for an enchantment. Captive Audience enters the battlefield under the control of an opponent of your choice. At the beginning of your upkeep, and in this case, your is the opponent you gave the card to, choose one that has not been chosen before. And the three choices are, your life total becomes 4, discard your hand, and each opponent creates 5 2 black zombie creature tokens. Woof. So it's a curse, essentially. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Effectively, yeah. This thing's mean. It's very good. It's, it's mean-ish. It's, it's mean. It's seven it's, mana. It's seven, It's a lot of mana, and you have... It doesn't trigger until the next turn.
1: Well, it, it yeah, but as soon as you, say, you cast it to the person to your left past the turn, it's going to happen right away. Like, they have to respond to it pretty quick, otherwise... I mean, you don't want any of those three options to happen, which is, I mean, even if you only get one, it's, you're overpaying, of of course, but it's not bad necessarily because you don't, nobody wants any of those, especially in commander. They, like, they can't choose your life
0: total becomes four. Right. Well, they, I mean, they'll choose zombies first. I would assume.
2: I, I imagine that that's the main first line of play, mm-hmm. yeah, especially because they might even be able to garner some political capital with the rest of the table and have them all point those zombies at you. That, I think, is the best case scenario because discarding your hand and going to just 10% of your starting life total, those are very crippling.
0: Well, that, that's what I think is going to happen. You'll see that some person got, gets tagged with captive audience and they will choose zombies first and then you know do whatever they're going to do and pass the turn. And you will now have your 5 22 zombies available to swing with. And you're going to look around and think, well, that guy's going to drop to 4 mana or lose his hand next turn. So he's no longer a threat. Who's a threat? And entirely possible, it's gonna those zombies are going to be coming at the person who cast captive audience. Now, they also yeah. are going to have their own zombies to block with. So maybe that's not that huge of a threat. And it's definitely going to kill people. Like, there's sometimes you're just going to stick this to somebody. They're not going to have removal spell in hand and they're going to die a slow death to tokens and losing their hand and losing their life it's absolutely going to kill people
2: yeah definitely i
0: just don't know if it's worth seven mana in a deck maybe it's a fun card like if you're just playing it for fun i absolutely recommend it and i think it's a it's a really sweet card i just don't know if it's that great i i completely agree
2: really i feel like this is just this is a cert for me i really think that this is going to make its way into many 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 rectus decks and not just things like mogus that are like you know minorly punishing in ways like that i think that a lot of folks are going to be able to use this because any one of those effects can be so devastating i yeah i I expect that this one's going to show up quite a lot in ways that are really going to frustrate me when they enchant me with it
1: i I think it's it's definitely a timmy card it's it's a big splashy effect like it feels very mythic
0: when you read it i I think you're gonna remember the times that you punished yourself with it when you cast it and pass a turn and the person said before the end of the turn i'm gonna nature's claim this and and naturalize it or or whatever well then i'll have a long talking to with them (laughs) but they'll do something and you'll be like oh i just time walked myself casting captive audience and they you know removed it for one mana at instant speed. I think that's going to happen enough times that it's going to bum you out. And and those moments will stand out to you a lot more often than the times you cast it and it worked, I think. Maybe not.
2: There's just also, like you could say the same thing about Zendikar Resurgent for example, another sure. seven mana enchantment. That if someone gets you on that, then they've, you've sort of time walked yourself if someone destroys it at instant speed on your turn. And that, like, that doesn't mean that the card isn't worth playing.
0: And It's also a card I've quit running
2: <laughs> for that reason. Oh, well, then <laughs> I guess we have different philosophies about it. But we've spent enough time looking at the captive audience. How about we move on now to Smothering Tithe? This is actually one that we've discussed before on the previous ep- episode with uh, with Tesa. Smothering Tithe is really, really cool. We just want to go over it one more time because of how cool it is. This is a four mana white enchantment. Whenever an opponent draws a card, that player may pay two, which they are never going to do. If that player doesn't pay the two, which again, they are never going to do, you create a colorless treasure artifact token that can sacrifice itself to add a mana of any color this card's awesome i really really like this card and i just wanted to spend one moment to reiterate that this card isn't good because it's ramp in mono white this card is good because it scales to multiplayer and that is so important
0: yeah I, i'm gonna challenge the stats on this one. i think it's kind of trash uh get but, out no shut, i'm kidding shut it's, your ama- mouth. it's amazing it, this card is playable <laughs> if it was green if this is a green ramp spell it's perfectly you're like oh yeah that's awesome i'm gonna run it the fact that it's white yeah, this
2: thing's it's very good. Can you imagine when people start doing this with Wheel of Fortune effects? Oh, uh, like,
0: I guess
1: that, I'll that's make, gonna I guess I'll make growth. That's, that's how we're tokens. fixing Boros, guys. Oh my gosh, <laughs> we did it.
2: All you have to do is scale things to multiplayer and they get so much better. It's the difference between Oblivion Ring and Grasp of Fate. This card's awesome. It's going to show up in a ton of white decks. Well,
0: and it's not just Ramp. It, the fact that it makes those tokens that you can then do things with if you're an artifact deck or whatever. I mean, right. it, it, I just, there's... If, if you're able to run this card, you're going to put it in the rough draft of your deck. It may not make the cut if you have green or something, but you're going to be considering it in every deck that's capable of running it. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. So good card. to that to that point. Somebody was saying on Twitter today they thought that Smothering Tithe would be a great budget card, and I was like, eh, it'll be a budget land tax maybe, but by there are going to be so many people that are going to want to put this in every single white deck. Like, there's no way it's going to stay, at, you know, under a dollar. It might be two three dollars perpetually at the low point but this is a very very good card
0: look at the yep. price trajectory of, of anointed procession and add 20 percent to it
2: <laughs> that's a great comparison actually i'm totally on board we've got another enchantment here that i want to personally shout out because it has to deal with plus one counters and my rayhan and ishai deck is super hungry for it that card is simic ascendancy this is just a two mana enchantment a green and a blue it has an activated ability that I don't particularly care about. One green and blue, and you can put a plus one counter on target creature you control. It's kind of cute, but that's not the important part. The important part is that whenever one or more plus one counters are put on a creature you control, you put that many growth counters on Simic Ascendancy, and at the beginning of your upkeep, if it's got 20 growth counters on it, you win the game. This is amazing.
1: It's, yeah. just a, Simic, it's a Simic card. This this is like the, the Vanifar of enchantments.
0: It'll be great in my Azuri Claw progress deck. I
2: don't even think that's necessarily the best <laughs> application. Like, you're not wrong. Azuri will be able to make use of this, but so will Vorel of the whole clade, and so will Peer and Toothy. Rehan and Ishai. Ishai stacks up so many counters just by a single round around the table. Same is true of Forgotten Ancient and Managorger Hydra. There are so many ways to abuse this card. You're going to see a ton of it.
0: Hey, you guys think it's going to be good in Atraxa? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, you know, you mentioned Atraxa, and Joey mentioned the activated ability not being that. Impressive or something you, you care about, but there's always a couple of creatures in a plus-one counter deck that are just there because they're enablers, whether it's a Traxa who has proliferate but doesn't get counters herself, or something like uh, Corpse Jack Menace, which doubles counters but doesn't get counters himself. This gives you a way to also put a counter on those creatures, which then the rest of your things that double those counters and add more can then begin to spiral off from because sometimes you get those creatures out, and they're just enabling things, but they're not necessarily threats themselves this lets you turn them into threats. So that's not a the ability isn't nothing.
2: No, it's it's just gravy.
0: What would you rather be doing between Simic Ascendancy
2: or Hel- Helix Pinnacle though? Definitely Simic Ascendancy. The fact that you can use something like Varel to double not just the counters on your creatures but also the counters on Simic Ascendancy, like I think that's very very impressive. Like only getting 20 plus one counters, I do not think that's a tall order. No, all. not like at all. If I can all. play a single one of those those Hydras, I think it's Colonian Hydra that whenever I attack, it doubles the counters on all of my creatures. Yep. That will just instantly set this off, whereas Helix Pinnacle takes a, a ton of investment. Com- compared those two, I really think that Ascendancy is such such a more achievable goal.
0: You're, you're just, just going to accidentally do that in these decks. Like, without even trying, you're just going to draw this and look down and go, oh, I'm just going to win next turn.
2: Yeah, precisely. I think it's bonkers good. Very, very, like, People, when you play it, people will try to hurt you, and they have every reason to do so. All right, let's move now to some other cards. For example, Awaken the Erstwhile. Dana, you want to
0: tell us about these old zombie people? I can indeed. Awaken the Erstwhile, three and two black, so five total CMC for a sorcery. Each player discards all the cards in their hand, then creates that many two two black zombie creature tokens. That's disgusting. (sighs) That's a thing. (laughs) <laughs> I, I like it. I, I again, I think this is one of those cards that is for very specific decks that you know want cards in the yard as well and want zombies. I think there's decks that are in love with it, and everyone else doesn't care.
1: I, I'm, I'm in. I'm in the doesn't care camp. I, yeah. I I think you know, say a Niv Mizzet deck. It's not going to have a whole lot of trouble getting to to ten plus cards. And even if you make them discard their hand, they're not going to have that much trouble getting back up to ten cards. So giving them a small army, like, I. I'm not very excited about doing that.
2: Yeah, this card is simultaneously amazing and terrible in my mind. It it occupies both of those spaces at once. I'm very wary about giving my opponents the creatures that they will then use to kill me. And I know that if I make them discard their hand, that's exactly what they're going to want to do and nothing else because I disrupted their main plan. So that that has me really really wary about it. But that being said, in the right deck, for example, Moldrotha is going to make excellent use of this because she'll be able to play all those cards anyway. She doesn't particularly care. So there it's got plenty of applications. I just know that I'm going to hate to see it and that I would be very wary playing it.
0: Yeah, I mean it's going to be an easy card to play badly.
2: I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Here's a great card that's pretty easy to play well. That's Mirror Match. Five and a red enchantment. Whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, flip a coin until you lose a flip. For each flip you won, create a token that's a copy of that creature, that token gains haste, and you exile them at the beginning of the next end step. More coin flips!
0: This one's a little more controlled, though. Yes. But if you are, you know, wanting to add some more coin flip madness to your uh, Zender split and... Zender Split's friend, whose name is <laughs> Ocon. There we go. Once again, there's, there's always that on chemistry. the ball, Joey. Once, yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> this is we're simpatico here. It's one more card for that deck. If you want to, you know, go that way with Rakdos. It's an enabler there as well, and it's just an interesting card in general.
2: Yeah, it's a neat way for red to potentially get more enters the battlefield effects, but it's also just very aggressive. I can see a deck even potentially like Xenoghost making use of this because you'd be able to just get some extra beats in there. And I think that's a really fun design space. It they've, they've got a whole bunch of those red enchantments that I really like, sort of like Sunbird's Invocation, which can do just a lot of really fun stuff. And I think with enough of them on the field, like you're going to be able to do some serious damage in ways that people probably won't really anticipate. I agree. Speaking of serious damage, awkward segue, but uh, the next card that we've got here is a Matt Morgan
1: special. It is. This, this is right up my alley. It's uh Forerunners. It is 5 green, 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 so triple green for a 7-7 seven, seven boar. Has Vigilance, Trample, and Haste, and when it enters the battlefield, other creatures you control get plus 2, plus 2. Gain Vigilance and Trample until end of turn. Crater Hoof has a little brother. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah Crater Hoof 2.0 budget crater hoof it's not going to be an expensive card because crater hoof already has that that title locked down but i mean if you're going wide by any means this is a kind of a decimator of provinces it gives vigilance and trample and both of those effects i think are, are worth pointing out especially the vigilance and we've talked about it a couple times vigilance is kind of underrated uh, so this giving vigilance in addition to the pump and trample it's a it's a pretty powerful card yeah, a Crater
2: Hoof is amazing because it pumps up all of your guys for each of your guys, so it gives a massive ability, but it doesn't give Vigilance. And assuming that you don't immediately kill the entire table when you craterhoof, Hoof, like, this is a great other option. That Vigilance is no joke. That's a really powerful ability, and you'll be able to keep your stuff up for blocking next turn so you don't have to swing all out. I love this guy.
0: And it makes your Alpha Strike a little less risky, too. Like You're not leaving yourself completely open. If right. if it goes badly in someone's Sudden swellings or whatever... You still have a backup plan. Oh, but I guess you'd lose Vigilance. Oh, well, it'll be too late if it's sudden spoiling. You've already attacked and they're already not tapped, so you're fine. But it lets you survive that um, the defensive fog or something, and that's really really useful. Yeah, Vigilance is
2: also really useful when you're up against the next card we're going to talk about, Verity Circle. This is a blue enchantment for three mana. Whenever a creature an opponent controls becomes tapped, if it isn't being declared as an attacker, you may draw a card. That's just kind of cool. Also, for four and a blue, it can tap target creature without flying. Pretty neat way to draw some extra cards.
0: This is what I've re- really struggled to kind of evaluate. I go back and forth between, oh, it's going to be too inconsistent to, oh, it's going to be insane and draw a gazillion cards. And I don't really know which of those is accurate. Probably something in the middle, but I think I actually need to see it in a game to correctly figure out where it falls in that sliding scale.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's really going to be dependent on your play group. Yeah, some, some sure. yes, some decks. This is going to do a lot of work, at, uh, uh, you know, playing against. What was the the dinosaur that drew drew a card in a similar?
0: Oh yeah, the green one, Runic
1: Armasaur. Yeah, there the, we go, the Armasaur. Yeah, I think it's going to get about as much play in, in decks as, as this does. The fact that you can tap it, you know, tap a creature down, pretty good. Uh, it's not a very good rate if all you're trying to do is draw a card though. It's, it's five mana. I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm kind of in the same camp Dana is. I think it's hard for me to value. I just don't play a bunch of blue decks. So, you know, what do I know? But... <laughs>
2: Uh, I, I, it, it might also be a meta-dependent choice if yeah. a lot of folks are playing things like uh, Cryptolith Rite or such like that. Azami is another potential thing that this could really disrupt, I think. It, and it, it might just be another one of those things where if you know your meta, then you know that you want this card. But if your meta is very, very aggressive and attacking all the time, then Verity Circle probably won't do as much. But I think it's a pretty neat option. I could definitely see it being amazing.
0: And there's definitely going to be games where you play it and you know somebody is like, oh, I can't help it, but I have to. I have to Convoke to get this creature out, so you're going to draw four, and the next person right. you know, takes their turn, and they have to you know, tap their Birds of Paradise and their nowhere else to, to actually cast their Commander because they have to deal with the Convoke creature, and it, that's going to happen at times, or at the very least, someone's going to play their Birds of Paradise and they're going to drop this, and they're not going to be able to tap their Birds of Paradise for mana. So like, you're going to tax them unofficially just by having it in play. So I feel like it's always going to do something. It's never going to be dead. I just I'm not sure yet until I see it, whether it's going to do enough to justify a card slot in three mana.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's worth pointing out, I'm kind of looking at the top top creature cards it on EDH rec right now. Out of the top ten, only two of them actually tap to do anything. One is Birds of Paradise, one is Deathrite Shaman. But then going down, outside of Mana Dorks, there aren't a lot of activated abilities going on. All right. There, there's stuff like Wood Elves, Xenagos, Maelstrom Wanderer, Baleful Strix, all those, whenever they turn sideways or have any sort of ability, like they're attacking. Trusted on even. It, everything's Enter the Battlefield abilities these days. Not a lot of tapping abilities outside of mana.
2: Yeah, I, I can certainly see that. So again, it may be back to that meta dependence. If you've got some Phoenix players or some Experiment crouch players in your meta, then that might be the signal for you to try this one out. But yeah, it's a tough one to evaluate, but I'm really excited to see where it goes. Here's another blue card that's coming up. Persistent Petitioners. This one has got so much buzz about it. Matt, do you want to walk us through it?
1: So, Persistent Petitioners is 1 and a blue for a 1-3 human advisor. Pay 1 and tap it to let your opponent draw a card. Uh... Oh, that's, all, that's if they have the Verity Circle out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that, the ability actually reads, uh, Pay 1 mana, tap it. Target player puts the top card of their library into their graveyard. You can also tap 4 untapped advisors you control. Target player puts the top 12 cards of their library into their graveyard. And a deck can have any number of... Uh, cards named Persistent Petitioners.
2: That's the important part right there. People saw
1: Relentless Bureaucrats and their ears perked up. You you come down on me for the the dad jokes and the puns, but you pulled that one out and that was
0: that was rough. So I think the most important thing to note here is you can tap four untapped advisors you control to do that, not four untapped Persistent Petitioners. So Gadak Teague is an advisor, guys. So is Grand Arbiter. Um, so you don't I, you don't need uh, to maybe run the density of these that you need in, in some other decks like with Shadowborn Apostles where it has to be Shadowborn Apostles. In this case, you can probably get away with a few less and run a few other useful advisors because as long as you have one in play, that ability is something that you can then utilize. And
2: I suppose like that could be another option, sort of uh, using Conspiracy or Xenograft or Arcane Adaptation effects. If you will have a ton of tokens, you can get one of those out and then land a Persistent Petitioners, which can then use an entire army rather than attacking, you can just mill everyone out. That could be another potential option. I, d- I do have a question for you guys, because I've seen a lot of debate about this. What is the style of deck that you would use for Persistent Petitioners? A lot of folks are saying maybe they'd go Sultai or maybe they'd go demir. some folks would go Azorius. What direction would you take it?
0: Well, first off, I just want to say the fact that there's that much debate about it and there's that many different opinions and ideas is interesting. I think you're going to see the participant petitioner's decks you're going to see are probably going to be kind of varied, at least in terms of who the commander is, and that's going to alter what other cards are in the deck as well. So that's, a, I think, a positive thing to mention right away. I feel like Esper is probably the color combination I would like the most because it lets you do the most untapping tricks, whether it's with things like Ghostway or... What's the uh, your interlude, and you have black and white as well, which both let you exile the stuff that you're that you're milling, so you're less likely to get burned by a reanimator deck. So I think that's that's the color combination I would probably lean into for those reasons.
2: That makes sense. For me, I'm all about the Sultai. I mean, of course we know that. I'm a Necromancer myself. Um, But I would really like the idea of milling maybe yourself. This is something that my little brother has been mentioning to me. You can mill yourself out a little bit and then use uh, mass reanimation spells to get more persistent Petitioners in play. You also have access to things like Bloodbond March, which would be able to get a bunch of those cards from your graveyard into play. Uh, That could be another really great avenue too. Matt, what about you? Where would you take Petitioners?
1: Uh, The one where I don't have to play blue. (laughs) <laughs> all right fair I enough mean, i mean uh I, I i don't know i i i think i mean, i have no idea i i as soon as everybody started getting super excited about this card i my enthusiasm for it started to drop a little bit oh come on i think Demir is kind of a, a no-brainer because you put in a phoenix deck it's a one three so you can tap it to mill three by itself instead of paying one to mill one uh, so that's fine I mean, that, oh that's, man! That's probably you're you're as, taking all
2: the excitement out of it. Come that's on.
1: probably as creative as I can get with with blue cards, guys. I, I already saw Well, I already okay. Fine, bant because then you can play it with Gattic Teague. Wow. Okay. The best <laughs> way to play mind. blue is add green white. There we go. <laughs>
2: I think that we'll probably see some deck techs for this card in the future. This one, I think, is causing a lot of buzz, and deservedly so. But we've got a ton more cards to talk about, so let's get to those two. Our next one is Electro Dominance. This is X red red for an instant that deals X damage to any target, and you get to cast a card with converted mana cost X or less from your hand without paying its mana cost. This is a pretty spicy one.
1: This one, I I do love. I, I know I'm going to get a copy for Niv-Mizzet, so... As much as I don't like playing petitioners. You just said you don't like blue. I like Niv-Mizzet, though. I, I, <laughs> I, so, okay. Petitioners is not my brand of blue card. How about that? But Electro-Dominance okay. is my brand of of blue-red cards. Uh, I think this is really fun. can nug somebody and then cheat out something. I mean, there's been a lot of people in in legacy groups that are trying to force, you know, what if we play Ancestral Visions with it and, and play around? And I'm like, I don't know about that. But it's really fun. I like I like that it's a fireball with a twist fireballs and those types of cards you know x burn spells aren't great necessarily but this one with the added payoff of being able to to do something out of your hand you know how i like casting spells for free so this is just one way to do it
2: yeah also gives you the ability to cast a sorcery at instant speed too that's not you know that's not irrelevant
0: no not at all it's very good I think it's it's going to be a card that really uh, separates out who's good at judging when to use it and who's not. I think you're going to see a lot of people that don't play it very well at all. They you know just use it without thinking about things like the casting a sorcery at instant speed off it, and they're just using it main phase to blow up one creature and cast something else. And I think then you're going to see the players who are really, really good players and really understand how to utilize it to its maximum efficiency, and they're going to do really fun things with it. So I think you're just gonna you're gonna see a lot of boring misplays and a lot of great plays. But I think it's also the type
2: of card that can really teach you how to play it as 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 you do sure. play it. Eventually, it's one of those cards that you'll notice, oh, there are so many other types of avenues that I could be doing with it that the the straightforward line of play may actually it it will eventually teach you to be a little cleverer, which I think is also really neat potential. Moving on to another instant, we have the card Unbreakable Formation. Dana, you want to take this one?
0: Unbreakable Formation. Two and a white for an instant speed spell. Creatures you control gain control, excuse me, gain indestructible until end of turn, and it has addendum. If you cast a spell during your main phase, put a plus one counter on each of those creatures, and they gain vigilance until end of turn.
2: This is probably my favorite addendum card. Just straight up. I really like indestructible effects. I like having a high density of cards that can save your army. And I like also that there's some potential to use this as a very offensive option as well, making yourself get a totally free combat.
1: Yeah, we talk about spells that are modal without looking modal. This one makes it a little bit easier. This is kind of that gateway drug type of card where it's a a way to look at it and say, oh, somebody's trying to wrath. I'm going to save my creatures. Oh, I'm going to go wide and, and kill somebody. I'm just going to kill them then. Uh, leaves blockers up.
2: Yeah, and make sure my creatures don't
1: die. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so good. Uh, I, I think it's a very powerful card. Uh, I, I like addendum, just how it incentivizes people to play in different patterns than blue-white normally does. That was kind of my review when I went on DM Cross's show. Right. I, yeah, it, it makes
0: non-modal spells modal almost. I think Rootborne Defenses, which was the version of this in Return to Ravnica that had a populate trigger stapled to it, I think that was almost playable in a whole bunch of decks just as a protection spell. But for me personally, I always kind of felt like, well, there's nothing to populate in this deck, so eh, it doesn't quite make the cut. I think addendum on this and, and the way it's worded and the way you can kind of flex this as an offensive ability too, it, it's that much better than Rootborn Defenses, which was already worth consideration just as protection. I don't necessarily know what deck I'm going to put this in or if I have what I'm going to put it in, but I'm expecting to see this in a lot of different decks because I I just feel like it's such a useful, versatile tool.
2: Yeah, it's got an Azoria symbol on it, but don't be fooled. Things like Saskia or very aggressive Aurelia decks, for example, are going to be able to make really, really good use of this spell. And I especially like that we've got this and then also Ghostway and then also Teferi's Protection. We're now getting quite a dearth of white instants that can help save an army in a lot of different potential ways. And it's nice to have that type of density because it helps make strategies that have big armies way more viable in this format and i just think that's wonderful if you can survive a whole bunch of wrath of god effects in a lot of different ways that's really really cool to see then we have new card guardian project matt do you want to take this i
1: sure can so it's three green for a enchantment whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control if it doesn't have the same name as another creature you control or creature card in your graveyard draw a card so well, we're a singleton format. We are a singleton format. So this is basically a uh, Soul of the Harvest on a stick,
2: uh, or, or a Beast or, Whisperer, or, yeah. or not yeah. on a stick
1: on an enchantment. It's harder to kill. It's only four mana. You're drawing a bunch of cards because unless you're playing petitioners or rats, you're gonna <laughs> have pretty much everything with different names. Or you're you know you're some kind of psychopath playing Spy Kit. <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: Wow, I think that's a dig at one of our other EDH rec writers who keeps on trying to make really cool decks around the Spy Kit card. But yes, your point is well taken. This is a, a really neat effect. Uh, it's, it's very straightforward. It's not necessarily something that we haven't seen before. But it's definitely going to be a presence in the format for sure. Because you'll be able to draw a card for every creature that you play. And green could always use more cards because it plays a ton of creatures. So I'm all totally and on board. And
0: because it is enter the battlefield, not cast, you can also draw a card if you put one into playoff. Risk card's expertise, Matt you can oh very nice or if you're stuff, yeah
2: that makes a lot of sense too all right perfect even better let's wrap up with one more enchantment in this really heavy hitters category that is the card cinder vines this is a red and a green for a gruel enchantment that says whenever an opponent casts a non-creature spell cinder vines deals one damage to that player and you can pay one and sacrifice it to destroy target artifact or enchantment and it deals two damage to that permanence controller This probably sounds underwhelming, but I'm super on board for this card. I don't usually play Gruul, but this kind of makes me want to. That damage effect is very minor, but it's going to add up. But really, it's that effect to sacrifice it to destroy an artifact or enchantment at any time that has my attention. That is surprisingly good. Like I I think that Gruul decks are going to make excellent use of this. I don't want to have a Gruul deck that doesn't have this card in it, because that's such a great versatility.
0: I mean, Seal Primardium already sees play, so this is kind of basically going to do that and it has the ability to also deal damage on top of it. I think if you're playing something like Yerle Stalker, where you're probably running enchantresses as well that draw you cards when you play an enchantment it gives you one more way to deal with artifacts and enchantments people play while also drawing enchantment cards and fueling things like Nykthos and fueling things like Ancestral Mask so I think it's great in those kind of decks as well. It's just a really good role player. I feel like there's a lot of those cards in this, in this set so far that I think I use the analogy on Twitter that they're not home runs, but they're line drive singles. There's a lot of those in this set that are just really nice, versatile, useful cards that are going to slot into whole 96 or 97 in your deck. They're not going to be the immediate cards you add or build around, but they're going to be really versatile things that make your deck just a little bit better.
1: Agreed. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to talk myself out of putting Cinder Vines in my Angry Omnath deck. Uh, just it's not a ramp spell, so it's it does it's not really on theme. But like you said, it it kind of gets you those nickel and dime advantages that you know they definitely add up over time.
2: Alrighty. So those were some of the heavy hitters of the set, the things that we anticipate having a lot of popularity. But we also want to go over a handful of cards that we know are good in the quote right deck. There are some cards that are maybe a little self-explanatory or that have a very particular niche that they're going to fill and fill well but that aren't as broadly useful as some of the other cards that we mentioned. So, for example, High Alert in Arcades isn't necessarily something that we're going to go over right now. Biogenic Upgrade in a Vorel or a Plus One Counters deck. Growth Spiral in Kruphix is a pretty good one. Angelic Exaltation in an Exalted deck, that kind of thing. We know that those cards are going to show up there, but there are a few more that are also kind of specialized that we think warrant a little bit of discussion. So we're going to talk about them, too. First up in this category is
0: Font of Agonies. Dana, you want to walk us through this guy? I certainly can. Font of Agonies is one mana a black enchantment that's always nice whenever you pay life you put that many blood counters on font of agonies for one and a black and it's not a you know one ability. so remove four blood counters from font of agonies destroy target creature and font of agonies isn't destroyed or sacrificed or anything in that process it's just remove four blood counters spend the two mana destroy target creature
2: Yeah, it doesn't go in every black deck, but the black deck that's going to be able to use it is going to make excellent use of this
1: card. Benny Smith actually posted a a little wombo combo uh, slaughter back in Exodus. It's two black black for an instant that says destroy target non-black creature, can't be regenerated, but has buyback of pay for life. Oh, (laughs) I really want to do those things together. So nice, nice find Benny. Yeah, doing stuff with Necropotence is another great
2: way to easily (laughs) enable this enchantment as well. Or, or,
0: you know, the the Selenia Dark Angel Life Swap decks that you see, where many times they just burn out 30 life with Selenia to do some kind of Life Swap shenanigans, Well, you're just going to put a gazillion counters on Fanta Agonies at that point in time, and then you'll kill one person with the Life Swap, and then everyone else is staring at your Fanta Agonies that has as many counters as you need to destroy whatever they have.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's another great application. Yeah, there's a lot of uses for it, and I think that that'll be a pretty impressive card when it shows up in those cases, for sure. Up next is a card that, Daniel, you've spoken a little bit about, and that's Theater of Horrors.
0: Yeah, Theater of Horrors. It is an enchantment. Again, a lot of enchantments that we're talking about here. It's one a black and a red, so Phyrexian Arena, CMC. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library, and during your turn, if an opponent lost life this turn, you may play cards exiled with Theater of Horrors. You can also spend three in a red and have Theater of Horrors deal one damage, target opponent or planeswalker.
1: I dig
2: it. So it, it does have a similarity to a Phyrexian Arena, also being three mana. This one doesn't actually hurt you, but it can't use those exiled cards until you hurt someone else. I'm on the fence, but from some of the stuff that you've been saying, you are kind of convincing me to liking it.
0: I, I like it. I don't necessarily know if I love it. I think it's good, but the fact that you're in black, I don't don't want to say hurts, but you have so many great draw options in black already, and red has been getting so many draw options the last couple years. Had this been in the original Return of Ravnica set, uh, it would have been an amazing card. In the intervening six years or so, I think we've got enough good red draw options to maybe not make it the blockbuster it would have been back then, but I still like it. I think it does a lot of little things. The fact that you can play those cards on any of your turns, not just the turn that you exile them, is really really nice. The fact that it's a playability, so you can you know use lands, is really really nice. The fact that you can spend, use it as a mana sink if you're if you have some way to generate a ton of mana. There's way worse things to do with near infinite mana than kill somebody with that activated ability. I don't know how often that's going to happen, <laughs> but it, it's an option, and there are decks that can do that, and this is the right color combination for that. So, I think there's a lot of upsides to it yeah that's just what i'm gonna say i think i think there's it's on the just cutting edge of going into any ractos deck i built i'm not sure if it would entirely make it but i think it may
2: yeah the thing that really got me a point that uh that was brought up i think before we started recording was just that like it, it looks so innocuous and not at all worth killing to your opponents, yeah. which means that it will it could very easily slowly stack up some cards that they're not necessarily paying attention to. And then as soon as any opponent loses one life, you've got a whole new grip of like four or
0: five cards in your hand. And in yeah. Rakdos, it's not difficult to get that one point of damage through on your turn.
1: Yeah. yeah I, well, J- Joey, you kind of touched on... My biggest thought on it is you can build up a, a new hand, basically, and as soon as it deals one damage to somebody you get a brand new hand. that's something that's very I wouldn't say it's it's experimental frenzy, but it's it's a similar type of effect you know in, in red, black, red, where suddenly you have access to all these cards that you normally wouldn't have because you ran out all your options. you don't have anything in your hand. So give this a couple turns. it's it's kind of got the Phyrexian arena downfall. I, I totally agree with that. But I think the potential there is you suddenly unlock. A brand new hand
0: that's something very very powerful when you mentioned frexian arena matt and experimental frenzy frexian arena and, and frenzy don't work together because you're drawing that extra card to your hand which you then can't mm-hmm. cast it if you have frenzy out mm-hmm. this isn't that this exiles the card and you you can cast it from there so if you happen to have frenzy and play and draw this you're welcome to cast it it's still going to work in conjunction with frenzy
2: yep so, speaking of drawing cards, we've got a couple others lined up here that also help draw cards, including a new mythic called Hydroid Crasis. This is X green blue for a jellyfish hydra beast, zero zero, 0 which sounds bad, except... It's a Hydra. You know what they do. They enter the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters. That's not all, though. It's also got flying. It's also got trample. And when you cast this spell, you gain half X life and draw half X cards rounded down each time. So if you put a bunch of mana into this, you can actually draw cards on cast before it even enters the battlefield, which ain't too bad.
0: I mean, no, if you're in a plus one counters deck and this is a flying trampler that costs green and a blue and X and you're like oh I can just make a 7-7 seven, seven flying trampler and then have the counters double with doubling season or you know do whatever with it it's like it's probably worth considering a plus one counters deck even without the life gain and draw stapled onto it it's maybe not an auto include but I think in your Peer and toothy deck even without the draw it's probably worth considering because with the counters and the interaction you're gonna have in that deck very often Having Evasion and Trample, having Flample, as Matt said, on that body is going to be great. The fact that you're just going to draw cards incidentally often and gain life incidentally off the things you were already doing makes it probably an auto-include in any plus-one counters deck that's running those colors. So I clearly like that Crassus a lot. I think it's going to be in quite a few decks. There's a card, though, that I seem to be seeing people talking about quite a bit that I don't love nearly as much, which is Forbidding Spirit. What do you guys think of Forbidding Spirit, Matt? I think it's an uncommon. So that kinda shows you a little bit about its power
1: <laughs> level. It's there are some powerful uncommons. Come I, on. It's fine. It's I I'm not gonna run it in any of my decks, and I, I think there's better effects for just as much mana, if not maybe a little bit more.
2: Yeah, so let's clue the listeners in on what this one is. Forbidding Spirit, one white, white, Spirit Cleric. It's a 3-3. Three, three. When it enters the battlefield until your next turn, creatures can't attack you or a planeswalker you control unless their controller pays two for each of those creatures. So, Dana, this uh, this next card on our show notes here, you're not digging
0: it? I just think, don't think in, in Commander, where we have access to you know pretty much every card ever printed, I don't think this uncommon that makes it slightly difficult to be attacked for one turn, it makes the cut. I'm just not sure why... The people that I've seen talking about it are so hyped for it in Commander.
2: I do like these types of effects, windborne muse and Ghostly yeah. and stuff like that. I get that the temporariness of this one is kind of annoying. So it's not just that if you blink it every turn, you can c- sort of create your own windborne muse. It's that if you blink it multiple times in a turn, those effects will stack up, which makes it very difficult to ever hit you.
0: I think if you have the ability to, st- to blink a creature multiple times in a turn uh, enough times to make yourself unattackable... There's probably better things you could be doing with that than just, you know, running three Ghostly Prisons. Yeah, yeah, that's also fair.
1: Yeah, I I think for the same amount of mana, you can play a Norn Xanax
0: and come out farther ahead. And have have it always be doing its thing without requiring you to invest blinking mana Mm -hmm. or or abilities into it as well.
1: Yeah, so like Brago decks get another tool to flicker. Woo.
2: (laughs) I mean, I I can still sort of see the hype, but I also understand that maybe that hype could be a little overrated, so I I also do get your point. There are a lot of effects that do something similar, and also, yeah, the blink targets that I'd want to use for a deck like Ruin or Brago might be a bit more powerful than this particular defensive creature. I don't think it's terrible, I think it's got its place, but I also totally get your point, and it could be a bit of a distraction compared to some of the other stuff that we know that those commanders are capable of, so that does make sense. Moving on, our next card is Incubation Druid. That's a 1 and a green elf druid. It's a 0-2 that can tap to add 1 mana of any type of land you control can produce. But if it has plus-1 counter on it, you add 3 mana of that type instead. It also can adapt for
1: 3 plus-1 counters for 5 mana. What do you guys think of this, little gal? I think it's fine. I, I think it, the the mana investment being able to spread it out over a couple turns, I'm in the middle of shifting my Moldrotha deck away from... Creature combo all the time to doing the plus uh, the plus one, plus one counters that I, I wrote about for an article a few months ago. And so Incubation Druid is probably going to be one of the the cards that I definitely include. Uh, just a multicolor mana dork. It's not great, but once you adapt it and you can tap it for three, you should come a, come ahead pretty much every time after that. I,
2: I simultaneously like and dislike her, another one of those instances for me, because it feels both better and worse than Sage. This can potentially have different types of mana that it provides, but it's based on the lands that you control. So it doesn't immediately give you color fixing. You still have to use other cards or fetch lands or something like that to get your color fixing. And unlike Sage, it, it can tap for a mana right out the gate, which is great, which Sage cannot,
0: but it's got a limited cap of adding three mana, which is cool, but also not. So i'm just very conflicted yeah and the decks that are using gaier for that purpose are usually doing it in a disgusting way or they're putting enough counters on it so they can tap it for all the mana in the world it's a perfectly fine card i think it's going to do work in decks here or there yeah it's fine I, I, it's, it's not game breaking it's not amazing it will come down in some game and be super annoying because it gets a counter on it immediately and is making three mana consistently and you can't justify removing it because you know the crater hoop's going to hit eventually so it's just going to generate value the entire time I, I like the card just fine and that's then that's where it ends yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah I, I do appreciate especially that it can immediately provide you with a mana and in the decks that it'll see play it might not need to make too many different types of mana for that to be necessarily good and i think that there's definitely a place for it i'm definitely going to be trying this one out because i want to see how it plays in comparison to guy or sage Next up, we have a card that I am super excited for. And Matt, I suspect that you might be
1: as well. That's Rhythm of the Wild. Want to walk us through it? I sure can. So Rhythm of the Wild, one red green for an enchantment. Another one of them enchantment cards that we were talking about. The creature, <laughs> cre- yeah, we like the enchantments. We do set. like the enchantments. Creature spells you control can't be countered. Pretty good. Also says non-token creatures you control have Riot. Also pretty good. I, yeah, this is amazing. This is in my opinion, much better
2: than fires of Yavamaya and better than fervor.
0: Well, one thing um, uh, a max on my other podcast, CMBR Central noted that I hadn't really thought of was if you want a haste effect in a deck, you tend to want to consistently have that out. So you are tempted to run both fervor and fires of Yavamaya if you're in gruel. so you can you know have a much better chance of having that out. The problem with that is those don't stack if you've got fires out, Fervor is a dead card if you draw it. Um, I guess if you have Fervor out and you draw Fires, you could cast it just to sacrifice it and get the the plus two to one creature, but no one's ever going to do that. This kind of gets around that. If you've got Fervor or Fires in your deck and you want that second haste enabler, you can put this in your deck and know that if you have the other one and draw this or, or vice versa, you can just use the plus one counter portion of it and not be out or anything.
2: Yeah, to be honest, the more that I look at it, the more I think that we should have put it in the heavy hitters yeah. uh, category. I think it's fantastic.
0: And again, it's it's an un- uncommon enchantment. There's quite a few good ones in this, but this one is, I think, is a really good one that we are going to be seeing in decks for years to come. The only
1: thing I wish is that it, it gave your tokens haste, or gave your tokens riot, I should yeah. say. But then I have a feeling it would be very unfair because, like, Angry Omnath, it would be a 100% percent shoe in in that case. But yeah, as is, it's a very good card. It's, it's up there with the... Uh, Draw a card whenever a creature the Guardian Project. Yes, I think it's it's going to be that that type of high play card.
2: Really, really cool one,
1: Matt. We're going to wrap up
2: with two cards that I know that you're really excited to talk about. The first of which is Lumbering Battlement.
1: Yes, I really dig this card. So it's four and a white for a four or five beast with vigilance. When it enters the battlefield, exile any number of other non-token creatures you control until it leaves the battlefield. And it gets plus two, plus two for each card exiled with it. I think this is pretty nifty. I don't think it's going to be great, but the way the way that it's playing around with kind of wrath insurance builds up a beater, I I really dig this. Actually, it, it, it discourages people from playing a wrath because if you blow up this twenty twenty one creature, watch out because I'm going to get my entire board back. It's just, it's just very cool. The, the fact that it's an O-ring type of effect for your own stuff. They're playing around a lot with this set. Just doing things that you normally wouldn't do. Normally you wouldn't want to get rid of all your creatures. But if you're getting a massive beater in exchange for it. And then you get the board back when they kill it. That's worth pointing out. Uh, same thing with like blue-white tokens. Uh, it's just very, very cool design. I really like it. I'm probably going to put it in a few more decks than I should but uh, I think it's going to lead to some very fun situations.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of fun to be able to abuse your own enters the battlefield effect. And you're right, this is a really neat way to play around with those. I think that rune decks especially are going to be able to take advantage of this to repeat their enter the battlefield effects and then also blink it with their other creatures that would come back. I think that you can get in some pretty nasty loops with this guy. Probably. So what's that last card that you're excited about? The
1: last card I'm excited about... Is a mythic, so we probably should be excited about it. But it's emergency powers, five white blue. For an instant, each player shuffles their hand in the and graveyard into their library, then draws seven cards, and you exile emergency powers. What do you guys think? Uh, I you didn't read the whole card. Well, I'm aware. (laughs) That's that's my first impression. As is. So (laughs) as is. I as an instant speed
0: wheel for like a day's undoing. I don't think that's bad necessarily. I generally don't love wheels because I think there's enough situations where somebody else has a board state or position where, or or you have a position where it's not a good idea to give everyone seven new cards and shuffle that graveyard back into their library. So I I, talking about me being the uh, high floor card evaluator, I don't like cards that situationally are just dead in my hand, particularly ones that cost seven mana. However, the addendum clause kind of changes that a little bit. It does.
2: Yeah, that's that definitely does. One of my main concerns when I look at wheel cards is whether someone else will be able to take advantage yeah. of those cards before I can. So it's nice that this is an instant because then I'll draw a bunch of cards be- during the end of the person before me's turn. I'll be able to play cards first. But if I need to cast this
1: on my turn, there's an addendum clause on this card that can also help mitigate that factor. Yep, and that addendum clause is if you cast a spell during your main phase not as a sorcery, but during your main phase, you may put a permanent card with converted mana cost seven or less from your hand onto the battlefield.
2: Ugh. So that begs the question, what are you so excited to put onto the battlefield for free? What do that?
0: you not want to put on the battlefield for seven <laughs> mana? <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, I mean like, it,
0: just generically speaking, like it doesn't really matter what it is, because at that point this the, the spell kind of becomes free. Presumably you're going to cast the biggest, nastiest thing you've drawn, Five, six, seven mana-ish. So it's not truly free, but it, it kind of becomes that way where you're going to get this ability yeah. for getting the mana back. Right. For a very limited investment. You're going to get to then play a spell that you were probably going to play with that mana anyway. And that really reduces the opportunity costs you've put into the spell. Yeah. I, I really like this. And I
1: mean, you can put planeswalkers in. It's just any permanent. So put a Karn into play. Put a Uh, dragon lord ojitai or anything just big and gnarly like that i mean and and if you're playing this in straight blue white your options might be a little limited maybe you do a a sun titan get even more value out of it but there's just so much you can do with this Uh, the fact that most opponents can't really let this resolve even though it's going to benefit them that's an interesting part to that i think
2: because that free permit yeah. can be so dangerous. I, I totally get it. And you know what? If anything, it's a glowing recommendation to this card that it makes Matt want to play more blue. It's true. So let's move on now to the final segment of the show. That is Challenge the Stats. We've talked about a whole bunch of cards that we think will be very popular. But... There are some that we also aren't quite on board with. Maybe cards that will be popular that we don't think should see as much play or cards that won't be as popular that we think should see more play. I'm going to start off with mine and that is the card Rampage of the Clans. I am challenging the Rampage of the Clans and that's not a very wise move to challenge a clan but I'm doing it anyway. Rampage of the Clans is a four mana green instant that destroys all artifacts and enchantments and turns them into 3-3 tokens. I, I've i heard a lot of hype around this card and i understand that it's really fun to destroy all artifacts and enchantments especially at instant speed but man i think that it's just very very dangerous and will not be as much fun when you actually play this card giving everyone all those three threes is very very dangerous in my experience. particularly
0: that smothering tithe player yeah
2: <laughs> That is especially true. If they've got enough artifacts and enchantments in play that you'll want to destroy all of them, then they'll have enough artifacts and enchantments in play that they'll be able to hurt you for destroying all of their stuff with all those three threes that you just gave them. It's just a little dangerous. I think this takes a lot more like finding a precise sweet spot to make it super super effective and in the meantime instead of doing you know that exact surgical tool what i could be using is just a bane of progress or if in white a cleansing nova i i just think that there are are better options for this type of effect that don't necessarily involve as much risk
1: i would agree with you i think yeah i think that's a a solid assessment
2: so, Dana, what's your challenge?
0: Of stats? My challenge of stats is just generally the split cards we're getting this set. Um, although I would extend it back to Guild's of Ravnica to a degree as well. I think none of them quite do the thing they're doing well enough to justify a slot. And I don't think the utility is necessarily there on, on them either. The exception may be Revival Revenge. The revenge half doubles your life total, and target opponent loses half their life rounded up. I think if you're in a deck playing Wound Reflection or doing a lot of, of life shenanigans, whether it's Aetherflux Reservoir or Vona, Butcher of Magan, I think there's definitely decks that that half of it alone is probably worthwhile. But for the most part, I just don't think any of them do enough to be worthy of a slot. If you look at something like repudiate and Replicate, well, the Replicate half is kind of nice. You can create a token that's a copy of a creature you control, but it's at sorcery speed and... You know, are you going to run that over cackling counterpart? Is is, is that trade off? Is it worth going to sorcery speed and losing the flashback just to gain a overcosted stifle? I, I don't think it is. If you look at incubation and incongruity, the incongruity half is decent. It's a three mana exile a creature and give them a three three frog lizard token. Well, that's that's pretty nice and in it's instant speed. But do you need that when you already are in colors and have access to Beast Within and Rapid Hybridization and Reality Shift and Ponjify? Do you need a fifth option? And the incubation half isn't that great either. I, I just don't. I feel like almost all of them are cards that you look at and go, eh, "I don't know what I would pull out of my commander deck that's worse than this."
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm glad that you mentioned Revival Revenge because I do think that the revenge half of that card is really intense, doubling your life total and making someone else lose half of their life. I think that's probably the neatest of them. I have a personal fondness for Repudiate and Replicate. I like that one half is the stifle, but I don't think you're wrong either. It is worse than a lot of other cards that we've seen and while the flexibility is really nice and can help shore up a more expensive or a clunkier version of those spells i i do happen to be on board with you just because things like stifle or cackling counterpart are already cards that i don't really want to play and the same is also true of like incongruity i've got other options there too i i think that you're right even some of the best looking split cards in the set aren't as neat as some other split cards that we've gotten in the
0: past yeah, I think had these had fuse like we had in Dragon's Maze, that makes it a lot easier because then you have the option that, you know, it's turn 12 or something and you can, oh, why not do both of these things simultaneously because I have the mana free and, you know, my hand is getting empty or whatever. But being forced to pick one half or the other, I just don't think they're quite quite good enough and offer quite enough utility to, to justify us a lot.
2: Yeah, but, you know, if people disagree with you, they're going to have their
0: revenge Oh, They will. They will uh, revive those old grudges and tell me all about it. <laughs> Matt, what's, what's yeah. your challenge here for us? So my challenge
1: is going to be two kind of cycle-type sets of cards. First one is going to be anything that ends with of the guild pact in this <laughs> set. So we have Glass of the Guild Pact, Tome of the Guild Pact, Sphinx of the Guild Pact. I don't think any of those are worth running. Every I had... I had a conversation with somebody on Twitter, they were talking about Tome of the Guild Pact being a great engine for multicolored decks, which is fine, but it requires a lot of effort in the build-around process for something that's 5 mana, only taps for 1 mana of any color, and it only triggers when you cast a multicolor spell, so monocolor, artifacts, all that, doesn't do anything. So if you if you can jump through the hoops to make it good, that's fine. But at that point, you're spending five mana. You may as well be running, like, the Immortal Sun or a bunch of other powerful effects. Even Mind's Eye, I think, might be a little consistently better than Tome of the Guild Pact. Glass of the Guild Pact, it's artifact for two mana. Multicolor creatures you control get plus one, plus one. That's fine. I think there's a very limited amount of decks that are going to want that. I know, like, Reese the Redeemed, that's probably one of the, the few that does actively want Glass of the Guild Pact, but not a lot of others and finally sphinx of the guild pact I'm not even going to give it any dignity because that card is <laughs> not so good but then a, a yeah. lot of these gates matters types of cards too I'm going to challenge those cycles there's maybe 10 15 people are going to want to build a five color gate deck sure there are some some nifty payoffs you, you know you have a uh, a pyroclasm effect that deals damage for every gate you have but I don't know if any of these payoff cards are are necessarily worth all the effort that you're going to put into building the deck to make that work because you're going to have to find ramp cards that find not just non-basics but you can find gates and you can use circuitous route and you know cards like that but if you're doing it for a gate colossus which is 8 mana for an 8-8 eight, eight, this spell costs 1 less for each gate you control, it can't be blocked by creatures, power 2 or less, whenever a gate enters the battlefield under your control you may put it on from your graveyard on top of your library you still have to recast it it's not it's not great. It's going to eat a path to exile because it's an 8-8, but it doesn't have any evasion, for example. I just don't think either of these two cycles, the payoffs are really there to to make the effort and jump through all the hoops to get you know a proper payoff.
2: So, Matt, what I'm hearing is that you hate Ravnica.
1: I don't hate Ravnica. <laughs> I, he just, he I just hate the guild t- pack. I hate the guild pack. I do, <laughs> I, yeah, I do think Jace is a little boring, and it's kind of telling... He's leaving all of his stuff laying around for people to pick up. I mean, we're not his mom. Pick up your own stuff, <laughs> Jace.
2: Yeah, come on, Living Guildpack, get it yourself. Yeah. All right, I, I am actually, like, all kidding aside, I am totally on board with a lot of those. Some of those cards are particularly clunky, and as we've discussed before, just because, and this is something especially that's come up with tribal episodes, just because something mentions a certain strategy that you are playing around doesn't mean that it's better than some other cards that are staples in the format. So, like, that Pyroclosm effect that you mentioned, or that Colossus. There are still better creatures and better board wipes that you can use that aren't as thematic but can help you get the job done. Let the maze's end be the payoff, and you don't need to know necessarily run all those cards just because they say gate on them
1: yeah i i I agree just just because it's a gate card and it's it's getting better with this whole block and maybe there's a commander in the next set that makes a, a gates deck happen i i don't know but i don't know as is right now with ravnica allegiance coming out i don't know if the payoffs to go through any of those cycles are are present in commander right now
2: Right. If you're building a strictly thematic deck, then totally go for it. But for the terms of like making a, a gate deck a bit more competitive, I'm totally on
0: board. Yeah, I agree completely with Matt there. Well, now that the uh, set review is finished, I think we have a little bit of news that we mentioned last week to wrap up here. We do. Yeah, the, the giveaway, and we've decided on what that's going to be finally. Uh, yeah, is... the 1,000 the, the
1: follower giveaway for people that follow us on Twitter... We are currently at just under 900 followers on Twitter. So once we get those last 100, we do have a prize to give away.
0: And that prize is going to be Ravnica themed. What is it, Matt? It is going to be a copy, a foil copy even. Oh, shiny. Of
1: every single, every single signet for every guild in on Ravnica. So 10 shiny foil signets. 10 for... shiny foil signets that can be sent out to you. If you're a follower
0: on Twitter of the podcast. And you can find us on Twitter at EDA Trek It's
1: true. So we are currently at uh, maybe I was I was lying. We're a little short of 900 865 followers right now. Once we hit that thousand follower mark. So make sure you guys share the podcast share the announcement. Do what you can just to get those thousand followers because once we get there we'll be sending you know a, a set of 10 foil signets to one of our followers on Twitter.
2: Yeah, that sounds like a really cool prize. Those signets are always going to be able to be used. And hey, why not make them shiny too? Because we like to pimp out our decks here in EDH. Let's be real. Yeah, if there's
1: anything Commander players need, it's more shiny and more mana fixing.
2: (laughs) That is very, very true. very astute observation. And I think on that particular note, we're going to call this episode to a close. Listeners, thanks so much for joining us for the set review. Let us know if there are any cards that you think we will see a whole ton of play that we didn't mention. Thank you to my co-hosts for joining me, and if any of our listeners can get in touch with us, where can they
1: find you all? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5.
0: You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach, and you can hear me once a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central.
2: And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Petal, also known as Kenneth Schnorn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader, that's L-O-A-D-3-R. As the guys mentioned, you can follow EDHREC and the cast on Facebook and Twitter, and you have a chance to win that package of foil signets. Long live the Guild Pact. So head on over there to smash those like buttons for a chance at that cool prize. You can contact us at edhreccast at gmail.com and find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast too. This cast is posted every week on EDHREC's community content spotlight session, where we feature as many other content creators as we can. From Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers, including our set review that also came out this week in article form. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. You were doing the opposite point of grammar in that moment. How dare you? And I say that as a person who used to correct people's grammar.
1: I was a terrible child. Was, uh, or, it, or or still are.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm like eight years old, so that was just like last year.
1: That's true. Happy birthday, by the way. I'm, I'm glad you uh, get out of the diapers this year. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um.
0: <laughs> and, I, and I'm at the age where I'm going to get into them. Yeah, you're just <laughs> saying... <laughs>